Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. the center of the galaxy, this is for some podcast feed. I'm Ken Napsack for another edition of Star Wars Rank. Me and a guest ranking things in Star Wars because, man, ranking's fun. And someone who has fun ranking with me a lot, and he's here today, is Joseph Scrimshaw. Hello, friend. Happy for some ranking fun. <laughs> some ranking file fun. Uh, we, uh, we are coming up on, it's hard to it's hard to fathom, but we're coming up on a thousand total broad- broadcasts for Force Center, Joseph. And this is our 115th edition of Star Wars Ranked. Just when you think, hey, you know, have we ranked the end of the galaxy? Yeah, something new and cool pops up, you know? Yeah, there's still so much left to rank. Yeah, we haven't even got down to uh, Chief Chirpa's uh, wardrobe. I can't wait to rank that. <laughs> uh, today, we have got 
in our hands this book we've had for a bit now. We both really enjoyed it. It's a fun little quick reader. It's called Star Wars Fascinating Facts, Story, Lore, and History from the Greatest Galaxy by Pablo Hidalgo. A lot of you know who Pablo is, and he recently returned to public Twitter. He's, uh, you know, back out there slugging it away. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> Uh, Joseph, and um, this is a fun little book with great little facts, right? And this is, uh, you know, land in our hands and it's nice and small and fits there and it's fun to read. Yeah, this is a, I would say the Fascinating Facts book is a fascinating book to me because Pablo Hidalgo is obviously uh, somebody who knows Star Wars from every aspect, from the story to uh, the behind the scenes history. Uh, just, he he could just, uh, he probably wrote this book in his sleep, literally. And I mean that as yeah. a compliment. But this book is, is fascinating because it is clearly one of those oh uh does your niece like star wars <laughs> and, you, and they need something for your their birthday and you know nothing about star wars this you can grab this book that's what feels like the kind of a the brutal book market point of a book like this is <laughs> yeah but it is fascinating to me because it clearly fills that uh, fulfills that you know uh, book market need but it is for a book that could be marketed like that it is actual fascinating facts for people uh, like us and our listeners who are very all in on Star Wars. So what a great mix to kind of fill that that uh, need of just like, eh, I know this person in my life likes the Star Wars, but it's still full of actual fascinating facts for people who know Star Wars. Yeah. And, you know, Pablo's got such a he's got a long, rich history there and he's been involved in a lot of different eras and aspects of, of uh, creating Star Wars, documenting Star Wars, and keeping its uh, histories and lores. Him and Leland Chi, the keeper of the holocron, uh, they do such a great job. So it makes sense. And like I said, he would just kind of write this book in his sleep, uh, it, it, it would seem. But um, what I also love, too, and he, it's funny, as of the day we're, we're recording this, um, he did tweet something out uh, or commented on something I saw about a make, making of Empire Strikes Back thing, about Luke uh, being uh, pushed out of the, the window or sucked out of the window during the fight uh, with Vader on Bespin. Um, and he made an interesting thing. He says, you know, not everyone grew up on the same behind-the-scenes specials. So a lot of people, I'm, I'm joyed that you're, I'm paraphrasing now, but I'm joyed that a lot of people, new people are finding this out. And yeah. that struck a chord with me because we always talk about our generation. We are that kind of maybe first, second generation of Star Wars fans, uh, young kids when they, they had hit. Um, we... We, we've lived with those VHS tapes and a lot of these behind-the-scenes stories, which a lot are in these books. But I love that the purpose is, like you said, Joseph, you got a niece, you got a nephew, you got someone in your life want, learning Star Wars, take this and enjoy the same stories we did. Yeah, exactly. And there, this is such a great uh, uh, covering of all of the different eras, too. So I think there's even that thing of like, well, kids who grew up with the prequels maybe remember all those facts, <laughs> you know? Totally. Uh, and this is just covers all the eras. Yeah, so we're going to dive in. We've picked each picked um, our five favorite, plus some runner-ups, as always, uh, of, of our favorite little fascinating facts. Some are very familiar to us. Some are relatively new when this book uh, plopped into our uh, laps, and, and others are very purposeful and tell a point. This is kind of a fun list um, and a great mix today. So we're going to begin, Joseph, with your number five. Yeah, my number five is uh, titled Critical reception uh, just to give a little uh, peek into my process uh, when i read this book a while back i took pictures of the pages i liked but uh, i did it late at night and i failed to take pictures that included the page number so if you're following along 
I apologize. I have no idea what page number this is, uh, but I have a lovely photo of it on my phone. Uh, anyway, it is uh, titled Critical Reception. All of these facts are just like one little page, a fun photo. Here is the actual text from uh, Critical Reception, my number five. Uh, Pablo Hidalgo writes, George Lucas famously did not pay much heed to critics and stood behind his work regardless of professional reception. During the production of episode one, Lucas could be spotted wearing a T-shirt with a review of Star Wars on it. A closer inspection revealed it was more than met the eye. The text is from a New Yorker story about the film's 20th anniversary and reads Star Wars, a film with comic book characters, unbelievable story, no political or social commentary, <laughs> lousy acting, preposterous dialogue, and ridiculously simplistic morality. In other words, a bad movie. <laughs> uh. Uh, so I, I do think that there is there there are some choices uh, in the facts <laughs> that that Pablo Hidalgo uh, puts in here. Some of them are absolutely fun. Some of them are movie magic, and some of them are reinforcing perspectives. Um, and this is reinforcing uh, a perspective, a truth uh, uh, that George Lucas does not um, not doesn't care that George mm. Lucas is aware of the strange tension of having created one of the most popular things ever to exist within humanity and also something that is constantly and viciously criticized. Yeah. <laughs> and that he is so aware of that tension that he would mm -hmm. wear a T-shirt that calls it out while making more of this thing that causes such great tension. <laughs> And and making the the this set of three films that's going to explode this tension, <laughs> just yeah yeah, and that's I think I think what's really fascinating to me about this uh, a couple things just that you know we talk about sometimes kind of even jokingly about uh, George Lucas is the the rebel in flannel, um, and I bang on sometimes about Lucas being an auteur, and I think sometimes people are like uh, yeah, uh, but really what I mean by that is. He, I think, approaches these films, even though they are, you know, incredibly popular and uh, change the entertainment landscape as we know it. He approaches them as this is the movie I want to make. And I recognize that it is going to come under lots of fire. And I, mm. I live with that. And mm. I, I'm not going to let that critique change my mind about the story I want to tell. And fully appreciating that is one of the many things that made me just let go and study and enjoy the prequels for what they are because it, they are absolutely the exercise of somebody just making exactly the film that they want. And that is, you know, at least partially what the sort of auteur theory is about. Um, and, and just to strip it of the, the auteur label, which can have some different baggage and meaning, I, I just think about it this way of you sit down and, and you write a story and you ask a bunch of friends, you know, is it good? Is it bad? And a bunch of friends, some of them like it. Some of them don't. A bunch of friends want to tell you this is the story you should write. And instead of critiquing your story, they just kind of tell you to write a different story. Yeah. And then you go, wait, no. After thinking about it, I trust myself. I wrote the story I wanted to and I'm proud of it. And I'm going to stay in that space. <laughs> it's yeah. not about not uh, taking criticism. It's about being true to, I made, I know I made what I wanted to make. And I'm going to mm -hmm. accept that some people are going to love it and some people are going to hate it. 
and I'm going to wear a t-shirt that reflects that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, well said, man. This is a great way to start the, start the list here because this is, well, yeah, uh, you know, I, I do believe there's a little bit of communication going on from, from Pablo to the fandom, you know, and I, I don't mean that in a negative sense. So I just a little, very curated list at times. Some, like I said, some of them fun and fluffy and others like, Hey, I know there's this narrative out of here, let, but let me give you, let me use a fact to drop in your narrative soup and, and see where you want to take it. And this is one of them for me. And George is, George has got a sense of humor, you know, I mean, I haven't hung out with him, but you know, it seems like he does. He, you know, the Han shot first shirt he was seen in several times on set, um, famously loving hardware wars and, and that parody back in the day. And then um, I'm one day, I think we're going to see him in a McClunky beanie. I really do like, you know, um, this is, this is part of his nature, but, but again, it, it all feeds into what you're saying, Joseph, of, I get it. I get it. It's a silly space opera, but I know who I am as a storyteller. I know what I'm trying to do. And I'm building, I'm building my whole career on that, on, on being a little bit of Maverick going away from Hollywood when I could, uh, battling, uh, the institutions that I felt, uh, no longer were serving the, the purpose or, or, or affecting my art. And, uh, and being who he is and just knowing who he is and being okay with it and understanding there's slings and arrows. Don't worry. And I'm sure there's probably a day he's been in that office, that nice wood office of Sky Ranch, Skywalker Ranch going, man, that sucks. You know, oh. I'm sure he'd love to be loved all unilaterally, but he knows he can't and he knows he's going to tell his stories. It's powerful. Yeah, yeah, no, and I'm sure that he takes the uh, pain and umbrage, and and you know, any creator knows if you have uh, like a place where people are going to review you online, and you get 49 positive comments and one negative one, mm -hmm. <laughs> which one are you going to think about? Uh, it's a it's yeah. a struggle to not think about the negative ones, and clearly, Lucas had uh, some quotes where he has been, you know, uh, affected by yeah. the amount of criticism, and, and it has upset him and and uh, made him mad. Uh, you know, he's human. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think exactly uh, uh, what you're saying. I think like this being in the book is also just a, a history lesson, maybe, as you were saying at the top of this podcast, uh, for people who didn't live through some of this. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I have a bit in, in my stand-up when I talk about Star Wars where I got a tweet once from somebody who didn't like the sequel trilogy, which is fine, saying, I wish it was like uh, Star Wars was like when George Lucas was still in charge and everybody uh, agreed about everything. And <laughs> that person probably just had the life experience that they didn't know this, yeah. this real life history. And that I think is, is uh, important as well. Absolutely. 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 Indeed. The star um, Wars wars are not new. <laughs> they're not new going back to 77. And, uh, and then this one, so, and uh, this was, uh, so about 97, this shirt was probably made, right? Is that what you said? So it's probably the, the re-release. Yeah, or, so it's, uh, you know, somebody from the New Yorker going 20 years later and we're still celebrating this and, like, just that great tension, too, of just a critic who's like, I've been certain for 20 years that this thing is horrible and yet it has changed all of society around me. I You know, I got, I'm, not, I'm not naming names. There's a couple people I know I've worked with have been around answering trivia questions who have that, like, this is a horrible franchise. Every there's only, it's all, they're all bad movies and fast and furious is better. And I'm like, you know, from your perspective, that's not wrong for you, but, uh, <laughs> look around you. Look around. You. <laughs> yes. We have an entirely altered society that uh, disagrees. Yeah. So that's a great way to start the list, man. It's going to be a fun discussion here. We're going to go to uh, my number five. And I did the opposite of Joseph. I wrote down page numbers. I failed to take pictures, which probably would have been better. But uh, you're going to hear me flipping through uh, the pages. Uh, this one is uh, The Rhythm of Ray and Ren. 
The key new themes composed by John Williams for The Force Awakens were those for Ray and Kylo Ren. John Williams says, Ray for me was particularly difficult, Williams said. It's kind of an adventure theme in a way. She's a girl who's been a scavenger, who's been alone. She's without her parents. I felt a lot of empathy for this poor creature who's at once brilliant and can defend herself but you want to touch something in her that's vulnerable and recognizes her need. For Kylo, Williams deliberately evoked his work with Darth Vader. Uh, Williams said, if, if it can convey in a few short notes the way the Imperial March does evil power, it will need to be something that will hit you and is accessible right away. Um, <clears throat> so I love those ones because I was one of the ones in the early days, like we're talking days or weeks when you're jumping on podcasts too soon before you've <laughs> had time to think about the movie you just watched. Um, where I was like, I don't know. I love, love the movie. I, I don't know. None, none of the themes stood out to me. Um, if I could go back in time, I'd take a Nerf bat and, and hit myself right <laughs> Um Again, you got to take time. Things hit you differently. The Rogue One soundtrack and score did that for me too. A little, it hit me a little bit later on. There's some beautiful pieces in that that I just wasn't paying attention to. And Ray's theme and Kylo's theme have emerged for me as two of my favorite just pieces the musical cue he's talking about with Kylo is so effective in Force Awakens. You could remove the dialogue and just hear the music, and that's going to convey everything you need to know. Um, but the Ray one specifically, I, I go back to those early uh, moments in Force Awakens on Jakku. It's still some of my favorite stuff. I just watched these all three of these films last week, and it's still some of my favorite stuff in the modern era. Ray on Jakku. Um, getting to know her, getting to uh, get behind her, some save the cat moments with BB-8 and everything. You just, you feel for her in a lot of ways and it's so hopeful. And to then watch that theme again, come back to in, in play during Rise of Skywalker, uh, what I call the heavy metal version a little bit when she's fighting and Palpatine and all that kind of stuff. Where <laughs> it even ends um, in, in Tatooine. It just, it just really drove home that I love this theme. It's some of William's best work and he was really inspired by this character. And to hear this quote, um, it really just, uh, number one the casual genius of williams like i needed to try to figure this out and you did <laughs> uh, so i love everything about it and it says every every his description here of ray is, is why i continue to, to just go back to that character and, and pull inspiration for my myself and just find inspiration in that story just uh at once brilliant and and uh, can defend herself but also vulnerable and has a has a big giant need and and, and i think that really does start with the music so that's why i love that fact yeah, no, that is a great fact and a great one uh, to pull out. Uh, I, I feel weird like, oh, no, I'm repeating myself. But uh, my wife and I just did a recorded a podcast uh, last night uh, about soundtracks because <laughs> uh, my wife really loves soundtracks. And, and this came up specifically Ray's theme. Uh, I remember just being hit like a ton of bricks by Ray's theme in the first viewing because sometimes I'm somebody who I, I just get so invested in the characters and the thematic ideas and the, the story structure. And I have lots of different uh, lenses that I'm looking at a movie through. So sometimes the music doesn't hit me on the first viewing. And there was something so powerful for me about Ray's theme that it hit me absolutely is this like wow that is totally star wars that is totally john williams mm. and yet i've never heard anything quite like it in star wars that evokes that exact emotion of there's something in both incredibly strong and incredibly uh, uh, fragile about it that like it feels like it is hopeful like it is monotonous but it is uh, about to explode uh like and it reflects her life i'm not criticizing the music is monotonous in any way but it's just yeah. got that like it's trying to 
explode, you know, (laughs) and and it absolutely does in Rise of Skywalker and all those great permutations of uh, Ray's theme that really celebrate uh, the growth. Um, Yeah. And and then I think Kylo's theme is under discussed, too, because I think it is very effective of he is the bad guy. But there's also something kind of uh, perfectly incomplete and reaching for being as complete as something like the Imperial March. And it's not. Yeah, and, and, and again, Rise of Skywalker, I love some of that stuff in the end. Uh, and I'm no David Collins, who does uh, excellent sound, soundtrack and score breakdowns. Check out his stuff if, you, if you've never done it. Um, but, you know, to see where he takes the Kylo theme and as it becomes kind of Ben's theme and just the notes that come in and, and how it works with the Ray's theme in that final battle. It's just, it's great stuff. And, and we are just so fortunate. Um, as George will tell you, it's, it, John Williams is the secret sauce, and he'll say that to the end of time. And um yeah. And I, I, yeah, you, you're, 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 you're right. When you're sitting watching a movie, I, the, the music's usually the last thing I pay attention to. So it's, I'm not surprised at myself for coming out of the first view and going, I don't know. I didn't hear any themes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's it, uh, looking at so many other things, but that's, uh, that's why we uh, encourage you to just really uh, engage with what's presented and invest and go back and, and let things sit for a bit. Cause this, uh, this eventually grabs me. It's, it's just one of my favorites. Yeah. Great pick. Great pick. Well, thank you, sir. You've got a great pick coming up here. Number four. My number four is The Thing from Another Ice World. That's what it's called. Here's uh, what Pablo Hidalgo wrote. Renowned screenwriter and sci-fi fantasy author Lee Brackett joined George Lucas for early development of the Empire Strikes Back script. She had written screenplays for director Howard Hawks, including the classic 1951 sci-fi movie The Thing from Another World, which would be remade by John Carpenter as The Thing in 1982. Lucas cited the original film in the terror of a beast that had infiltrated an icy base during early creative meetings for The Empire Strikes Back. Um, I like this one for lots of reasons. <laughs> one of them yeah. is just how much uh, pop culture is intertwined with itself in this fun way. Uh, that was a fact that I'd never heard that Lucas was inspired by the original thing from another world uh, when visualizing uh, the, how you could have terror on an icy world in a, in a base, which makes perfect sense. Um, the, the history of the thing from another world in pop culture is just kind of fascinating since uh, the characters in Halloween on the night Halloween are watching <laughs> the thing from right. another world. Uh, and then apparently, uh, I guess John Carpenter watched his own movie and was like, you know what? I should make that movie that's within my movie. Yeah. Uh, and that's all all that history that I see within The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, so that was one reason that this one jumped out at, to me. Uh, but the other one is just, I feel like, Lucas hiring uh, Lee Brackett is something that has always stuck with me about the um, I I know a lot of her her stuff did not necessarily make it to the final draft, but just the involvement of someone from that era. That Lucas, you know, when he's making Empire Strikes Back and, and knew that he was not going to do everything by himself and went out and hired people. And was like, okay, I'll, I'll hire, you know, uh, my old mentor, Irvin Kirshner, as the director, who I'm going to hire as a writer. Um, well, Lucas says to himself, I would imagine, uh, Star Wars is pulling from all of these other genres. Uh, why don't I hire someone who wrote them? Uh, she was a screenwriter on The Big Sleep. Uh, great Western uh, Rio Bravo. Um a, a later uh, uh, Raymond Chandler adaptation, The Long Goodbye, you know, as well as things like Thing from Another World, as well as just being a, an author uh, herself of novels. And just the idea that it's not just the, I- 
ideas of those other eras and those other genres that Lucas was interested in. He was like <laughs> uh, older woman in Hollywood uh, who yeah. was responsible for these things and probably doesn't get enough credit for them. Come play. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool to me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. She, she passed away, of course, during the writing process. Uh, I'm looking up just to confirm of, uh, of uh, age 62. Um, no, uh, well said. I'm sorry if I'm cutting you off. I got more points. I, I, I love this indicates so much of just Lucas knowing again, we talked about knowing what he is as the artist and knowing what he's trying to accomplish and knowing the, the influences and, and I always say it I mean, in interviews, I'm paraphrasing, but just like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm taking all these things and, 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 and doing my version of them in a way um, because I feel that's valuable because I want, I want generations to generations to, to experience it. Um, and he wants you to go back and review the other stuff. And so it's pretty powerful. And then to, to, yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, a 62 year old, um, uh, woman with a, a, a mo seemingly most of her accomplishments in the past that that's uh that's a powerful choice and a very clear choice that lucas was making there um and i i respect him for that as well yeah yeah absolutely and i just uh you know it's a thing that is uh close to my heart as the uh, listeners of force center know that uh star wars is very much tied to all of these roots of the truly pulpy and you know i think when you see bits of of lee brackett script it's really tied to those roots it's, it just is those roots in some ways and, and i always like celebrating that yeah and look and, and as far as her yeah her um her passing away during the process and lawrence casting comes in and does amazing work and we we love uh casting's uh contributions to star wars indeed but i i, I sometimes um some of these big concepts that she introduced and some of their you read some of the the stuff in her, her story, early Empire story, and they're kind of crazy, right? They're kind of big. They're kind of big sci-fi stuff. Uh, I sometimes um, just wonder if, if, if she had allowed been allowed to continue and go through the process and what would he, I'm not saying I, I want that, that version of, of Empire. I'm so happy with what we have, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a little, little almost tragic. That's like some of the big concepts that uh, couldn't be uh, developed as the process went along. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Indeed. Great number four there from you, sir. So we're going to my number four, which is, as I flip to the page, page 28, for those keeping score at home, um, pre-shooting the prequels. This was maybe a little outside the box choice for me here, but here we go. In the case of The Phantom Menace, the filmmakers greatly relied on the utility of animatics, a sort of low-resolution placeholder version of computer animation and quickly assembled video photography to... Pre-visualized scenes as the movie was being conceived. These were vital as upwards of 70% of the film would require visual effects work and decisions need to be made early to focus that work as effectively as possible. Co-editor Ben Bird and animatic supervisor David Dozaretz essentially pre-shot the movie with crude temporary CG graphics and footage of crew members standing in as characters. This version of episode one was then replaced bit by bit in editorial as finished shots came in all right where can i get that version <laughs> i was just gonna say if if they have the entire film just made uh like a, a weird fun you know goof trailer <laughs> i would love that yeah yeah uh, and and you know in the um phantom menace doc the beginning which we talk about a lot here we do love there's a couple of like the early test shots with jar jar on the back of a pickup truck um I'm fascinated by that. I am fascinated as 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 a kid of of reading that uh, 
they pre-shot the speeder bike chase with figures. The ones I owned, they 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 used the figures I owned, and 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 the trees were uh, cardboard like paper towel tubes. Great, and I just was blown away by that. So I'm still even now in my advancing age here in 2020, which is obsessed with this kind of the process it takes to make these movies and shows and and you see even going up to um uh, the mandalorian or the volume and what they're able to do with 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 previous stuff and animatics and just really make a lot of decisions before you even get to set it's it's invaluable and that speaks to the legacy of of the the prequels um part of it and, and more on that in a bit and also um ben burt hey man this guy we owe him a lot as Star Wars fans, and I think everyone knows that, but it continues. Sound effects, sure. Editing, he edited the prequels or co-editor, you know, as it's less, and then uh, was out there shooting these animatics to, to help with the editing process. He's done quite a bit and appeared in the movies, as we know. Yes, that is right. Colonel Dyer. Yeah, no, I always, uh, when this comes up, I'm always just like, yeah, Ben Burt playing action figures. <laughs> <laughs> that's how he made uh, some of Star Wars happen, you know, yeah. not just the uh, great contribution for, you know, all those sounds we kind of like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, also just getting down in there and playing. Um, if you like this fact, I really have to recommend uh, this film called Making Waves, The Art of Cinematic Sound. Uh, mm, it's a documentary yeah. that came out in 2019. It was playing at the the uh, Arclight Hollywood, uh, bless its soul. Uh, and, it is a history of the advancements in sound technology and sound design. And it, there's a lot of fascinating facts, both Star Wars related and not even remotely Star Wars related. Uh, but it's got a lot of great interviews with Ben Burt about his whole career and his journey. And it was in that film uh, that I learned that Ben Burt, as a, as a younger person before he met uh, George Lucas, had made his own short film that is a spoof of Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. And his film from 1973 is called Rod Flash Conquers Infinity. <laughs> and when you see that, it, and, you know, it's definitely the design thing. But when I saw that, like, oh, wow, Lucas and, and Ben Burt were like just two peas who are not yet in the same pod and they needed to be in a pod together. <laughs> and yeah. that pod is Star Wars now. But it, it made sense to me from this sound design, but it also just made sense to me of like, yeah, a, a young a young filmmaker who wants to make a spoof in 1973 before anybody gives a damn about any of this stuff called Rod Flash Conquers Infinity. Hell yeah, he wants to get out some action figures and make a fun animatic. He's making a little yeah. short film, right? That's amazing. I've never heard that. And you, you've mentioned this doc before. I got to track it down uh, streaming somewhere. I This is right up my alley of just... Docs, I love to watch. That's, I mean, come on. Can we get a go picture on that right now? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. I uh, they show a clip of it uh, in in the the documentary, but yeah, making waves. Uh, the art of cinematic sound. Uh, find it. It is on streaming. I don't remember where, but it's mm. great. And so is this fact. Yeah, the behind the scenes stuff. Powerful, powerful, powerful indeed. All right, that is uh, my number four, which just means we're up to your number three. Uh, my number three is A.K.A. Ray. Here is what is written. Uh, the Force Awakens' long journey from idea to a finished film was filled with evolution, but one idea that remained constant from the start was that of a young woman's quest to become a Jedi Knight. In George Lucas's original outline, she was a 14-year-old girl named Taryn. In his uh, subsequent iterations, she would briefly be named Thea, and believe it or not, 
Winky. <laughs> when writer-director J.J. Abrams came aboard, he simplified the names to placeholders. Kylo Ren was the Jedi killer. Thea became Sally. Finn was called Harry. And the character that would become Poe was John Doe. As the film neared production, Sally became Kira, which stuck as a production code name, then Echo, and finally Ray. Wow. There are a lot of facts in that one fact, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think my my big thing for this is like all the name stuff is is utterly fascinating. Some of it is really well known, like the Kira thing. Uh, right. I think I heard Echo at one point, but that's fascinating. Now that we got Bad Batch, and we're really spending quality time with a different Echo. Um, there's an interesting part of this book that comes out a couple different places of talking about what is in Lucas's original outlines. And mm-hmm. just teasing that beautiful someday where <laughs> where we'll get to see the whole outlines and in the internet will explode. Um, mm-hmm. What was interesting to me about about this discussion of it though is that there were uh, iterations because mm-hmm. it says specifically in George Lucas's original outline. Then in his subsequent iterations, which sounds like they have in the archives George's drafts of the outlines, uh, which means that. Sometimes we have these conversations about here's what was in George's outline. Here's what it was going to be or whatever. Eh, there might have been three or four different ideas. Mm. Um, yeah. And then the other thing for me is just, uh, again, obviously, we all know the history that a lot of things got changed, that Lucas himself expressed uh, some displeasure with uh, some of the ideas not being used in The Force Awakens in particular. Uh, we all know that history. Uh, but for me, I, I really like it when when... Um, we're reminded that there are ideas that are a constant mm-hmm. through every version of the uh, the sequel trilogy, including that it's focused on a on a young woman who is destined to become a Jedi. Yeah, right. Yeah, There's some of those through lines, and and it, um, yeah, I, you know, without a doubt, yeah, the internet would turn anything into a competition. Uh, I understand that, but uh, I, 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 when some of the stuff started emerging, I felt comforted. Does that make sense, Joseph? Just mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I believe me. I want to read every word of what George might have done in seven, eight, nine. I absolutely. And there's going to be moments where you're like, oh, I'd like that more. I don't like that as much. Or what are these really weird micro microbiotic characters? <laughs> like, you know, what is this? Um, yeah, totally. But there was some great. I don't know. Yeah, just comfort of just like yeah, the 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 core is there. The wavelength was the same in some areas, and even though there's some uh, big changes and stuff around it, and you know, we'll never know. That's the that's the the thing we all live with, but. Um, I am I for one am here for the adventures of Winky. That's right. I'm glad that we got to hear the story of Winky. Uh, and who knows uh, that Ray could have taken that as her last name instead of Skywalker, and that would have really had a huge reaction from the audience. <laughs> it just, yeah, yeah, right. Um, it's 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 really if it's if it's from George, you know, and it's like an early version, and if he's like Winky, and this is the same guy who gave us Wormy, like. <laughs> yeah. So it, I found that one really really fascinating. Uh, also, just the like the reminder of like you know uh, we do we do have the outlines. <laughs> I know right? we're not releasing them right now, and probably not for a while, which is probably for the best. I uh, yes, I'm yes, I'm good. If some if someone in a in a trench coat and a, a fedora and a mask wants to slip me the uh, outlines in a parking garage in Burbank, I'll I'll take them. But I'm, yeah, uh, I'm good. Um, that's a great number three. Uh, my number three is actually one I touched upon in a in a spotlight Star Wars not too long ago. Um, almost on the fly, I literally as I was recording, was thumbing through this book because it was near my uh, uh, my my studio setup here, and I just was like, I love this little fact. So we're gonna dive into it a little bit more here. Page seventy nine. Uh, uh, a new Vader vantage point. 
George Lucas said part of his goal with the creation of the prequel trilogy was to change the audience perspective of Darth Vader in the first trilogy. In four, people didn't know whether Vader was a robot or a monster or if there was anybody in there. This way, when you see him walk into the spaceship in episode four, you're going to say, oh my God, that's Anakin. The poor guy is still stuck in his suit. So the tension and drama is completely reversed. I, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but I just love... I love that. I, I have become obsessed because of, I think, in my um, my own maturation of, as, as a Star Wars fan or just seeing things a little different than I used to. Of just like I was one who watched Revenge of the Sith and was Revenge of the Sith and was just like, man, I like it. I, I don't know. I wish Anakin's change was pretty weak. Uh, I, I don't get it. He says Padme. I, and, and I was one of the ones that George was probably speaking to. Of just like, hey, uh, glad you love the original trilogy. This was the story I was trying to tell. Going back to our original point of, uh, of your first point, uh, your first fact, Joseph. Just like he knows what he wants to do. He knows what he wants to f- do. Uh, feels uh, feels what he wants to um, uh, tell. Uh, and um, that sentence made no sense, but we're gonna roll with it. <laughs> um, and I just I I love that George is like, look, I'm 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 completely. I want to change your perspectives because it's one through six at this at the time. And this is the story of this man's fall and, 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 his, and his son and daughter around him and everything about it and what puts you into that suit and the tragedy of him still being there. And I always go to a friend of mine who um, his wife uh, um, just did not grow up with Star Wars at all. Uh, grew up in another country, which, of course, doesn't mean anything. Star Wars is everywhere. But she just it just was not part of her daily culture, mm-hmm. not part of her, her youth. And, and, and they watched one through six. And when... Anakin fell in Revenge of Sith. He, he said, dude, she was bawling. Bawling that little Annie fell. And I never have moved off that conversation. I've ne- I think about that often. And I think about that when I read this stuff of George going, man, y'all worship this dude. Y'all thought he was so cool and so powerful. That's not what I was trying to do. That's not. And so I need to make sure I go back and kind of reframe it. And, and I think this point drives that home. It was very intentional from George. Yeah, this is a great fact, and I think a, a really important one uh, to highlight. I think there's absolutely nothing wrong of uh, enjoying Vader as a villain, right? And oh, yeah. Even yeah. enjoying the the thrill of a, of a villain with great power, unstoppable. Like, there's a reason we we like to tell stories about um, about people who have fallen to the dark side because it's a it's a safe way to explore that, right? Uh, yeah. But then there is that crossing from. Uh, having the safe exploration of horror and evil <laughs> to going, well, actually <laughs> he's right. And I wish I was him is, you know, I think, yeah. uh, or, or just really thinking it's cool that he kills people with absolutely no other examination of it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that seems to be like, that's the part of it that Lucas is pushing back on. And one of my favorite shots, of revenge of the Sith, uh, uh, the prequels, star Wars period is, uh, Anakin being put into the suit and uh, those great perspective shots and the amazing acting job in in that moment of Hayden Christensen, that look on his face, he's being put in prison. He is being put in prison after causing horrific amounts of pain and getting nothing for it. That is very clearly uh, the story of Vader. Um, And that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy him as a, as a, you know, is a villain and is a pop culture yeah. sensation and can't enjoy the the thrill of his action. But when you engage on it of what is, what's the story, what's the morality, man, uh, mm. your friend's partner is, is right to weep. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, indeed. And look, yeah, you, you and I, you and I love the Rogue One hallway scene for many reasons, and some of it is, man, Vader going full Vader. And we used to talk about it on the playground for years. And so to see that, but also the horror of it and, and the sacrifice of the rebels, there's so much there as, as it always should be in, in, uh, in scenes. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, the, that was a powerful moment and it's, it's a powerful purpose. It makes that redemption return of the Jedi. Uh, my friend's wife, probably, I don't know. I have to ask the reaction of return of the Jedi <laughs> <laughs> weeping tears of joy of the redemption. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. One hopes. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say on it, because you really touched on it, is um, uh, totally open to criticisms of uh, of any Star Wars and the prequels, and I certainly still have mine like, oh, what about this? What about that? But the more time I spend with the prequels, George, you can dislike the choices that he made, but he made choices and he knows why, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he'll wear it on a t-shirt if you don't care. <laughs> Uh, so that is uh, my number three we're up to your number two we're ranking our favorite uh, Star Wars fascinating facts from Pablo Hidalgo's book Uh, just what you got for number two number two uh, we've talked about some deep things Ken we're going to silly town Uh, this one is titled silly names for fearsome creatures Uh, Pablo writes most of the creatures lurking in the background of Jabba's palace would never have their names spoken aloud but they all had some sort of moniker some of these would be exposed to Star Wars fans through action figures or trading cards often revealing the playful or punch drunk nature of the overworked ILM creature shop when they (laughs) named these oddballs Salacious B. Crumb's name started off from a misspoken utterance of shoelaces as Sulacious Ifant Mon takes clear inspiration from Elephant Man the mole-like Elam just needs to look at his name in the mirror to find the source of his handle. Reese was three eyes. In Hermie Odell's silly name, Hear Me Yodel, <laughs> is an improvement over his first name, Hemi Moroid. <laughs> I enjoyed this whole thing uh, for many reasons. You know, that truth that you and I talk about because of the generation we grew up in of how much of our knowledge and attachment to uh, Star Wars is through living and reliving the story again and again through action figures and trading cards. That's really fun to have that, you know, expressly uh, uh, reflected as a truth (laughs) that that is the experience of, uh, of our generation of fans. Some of these things uh, I knew about where the actual names uh, came from. uh, And I love Hermie Odell. He, he has come to be one of my favorite characters because he's just, (laughs) he's, if you're, if you're not familiar with Hermie Odell, give him a Google and just Marvel at what is going on uh, with his appearance and, uh, most importantly, his tongue. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't know that uh, his name came from Hear Me Yodel. Maybe that's what's going on with his tongue. And, yeah, I, I just love the contrast between, uh, frankly, uh, people like us who have the action figures, mm-hmm. trading cards, still, you know, frustrated when a, a very minor character, background character doesn't have a name. And, you know, it's, all, it's so well documented uh, who these characters are. And we we fight in trivia contests over it. And then to just think, like, as uh, Pablo Hidalgo writes, playful or punch-drunk people are just like, we need a bunch of creatures. Uh, what's this <laughs> one's name? Uh, hear me yodel? Great. <laughs> and the contrast between the fun and flippant way that these names came about versus, you know, I could win a trivia contest by knowing that. So right. It's so, I mean, I, I, uh, have read these, uh, this fascinating facts book uh, like a couple times now. And so the, but this one still jumps out to me and I laugh. Cause like, I love salacious B crumb and I'm one of those like, no, you got to include the B. Uh, that's, that's, that's keep it. It's, it, it, it's basically untied shoelaces. It might be it. Like, you know, Hey, Joe Johnson, your shoe shoelaces are untied. My what? Your shoelaces. 
Oh, <laughs> got a character. Like who knows? And you're and you're so right. And here we are years later. If you know, you got to get it right. You got to get it right. And and both both sides are fun. Both sides draw me into Star Wars. Uh, and this is uh, one of the things I love about this book, just highlighting the like you said, the punch drunk nature of these guys in a creature shop running deadlines before uncle george comes by to tell them yay or nay just exhausted going i don't know what's this one's name <laughs> that's so much fun <laughs> and, and, and 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 it's a great needle to my uh if, if i ever sometimes get that my my balloon of star wars fandom gets pumps up a little too much on the pretentious side this stuff like this really is is just a needle poking that i've just yeah don't forget. Don't forget, man. You, and it you know. is. Yeah. And it is just such a reminder of just like, you know, on some level, you do have to accept uh, the tension of Star Wars, that it's everything from what we were just talking about of this uh, mm-hmm. mythic journey of this, uh, you know, tragic, badass Vader. And then it is also hear me yodel with his tongue hanging out. It's both. It's, <laughs> yeah. it, and so far, it's never not going to be both. We're going five rounds of almost literal boxing over Akbar and Last Jedi. And it's like, we're fighting over an appetizer. It's an appetizer. What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, so that's my number two, uh, The Strange well, History of Hermiotal. Love it. Great choice. Uh, my number two here. Then we'll uh, take a quick break and have some runners-ups. And our number one's here, but uh, going to page 55. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Digital Cinema Revolution. Uh, For Star Wars, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, George Lucas and producer Rick McCallum worked with Sony for six years to design the perfect camera. For six years to design the perfect cameras, the HDW F924P to shoot this movie. The partnership included Panavision, which would develop lenses for the camera to meet the needs of cinematographers. The entire project was shot, processed, edited, and even distributed by satellite download and projected digitally in some markets. When episode one opened, there were four digital screens. Four. When episode two opened on May 16, 2002, about 100 of its 3,161 theaters had digital screens. Now that number of digital screens available tops 38,000. Those are impressive numbers both ways of just how small it was. And I remember my eighth and final viewing of The Phantom Menace was a digital print or what I went to theaters with NECA. And it was... uh, so clear i almost didn't like it you know it's like i don't know where's the flickering (laughs) yeah yeah, i see the seams on uh jar jar which was possible as a digital digital character um anyways this quote uh this fact i should say i just it drives home what we've talked about a lot and even here today with george knowing who he is as as a storyteller and who he is as a filmmaker but who he is as a as someone who is not just interested in stuff but finds it important uh finds it important to move filmmaking forward um, does this fact uh, erase any sins of Attack the Clones for you if you if you hold on to them? Eh, maybe not, but it is tremendously valuable to me as a fan to know that this is also part of the legacy of Star Wars. We just talked about the creature shop at ILM. ILM comes about because George is like, well, I guess we need to do this ourselves. Let's make a creature, <laughs> a visual effects company. Um, let's do this. And uh, Jar Jar and, and, the, and all credit due to Andy Serkis and Peter Jackson and the stuff they pulled off in those movies, but let's not forget Ahmed Best. Let's not forget to throw some respect on Ahmed Best for being the first fully realized kind of digital character. Um, I love this stuff about the prequels. I love hearing um, that for six years in the nineties for a movie released in 2002, they're like, we're going to need something that we don't have right now. Can we make it? 
because we want to get there. And to see where they they go with the volume, no wonder George shows up to set. <laughs> you know, no wonder. <laughs> yeah, and George. it's got that clip of like, yeah, we were close to this. We were figuring, trying to figure something like this out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Kathleen Kennedy's saying too, like, well, George wanted this. He at the end of the street in Skywalker Ranch, he was going to build it. To, love it. It's part of his legacy. It what's it, it's what gets him excited. He's a car guy. For, don't forget, you know, he's he's not like a, a, a you know a classic gearhead, I guess, in that kind of sense. And even if he is, great. Um, but you know, like car guy, tinkering, building, thinking, thinking Anakin, thinking Luke, uh, building stuff. Um, this makes perfect sense. Let's build a better way to make a film. Uh, make it more cost effective, um, all those kind of things. I'm fascinated by it. And you could write books on it. These are numbers and things that are sometimes over my head. Uh, I'm here for the pew, pew, pew most of the time, but <laughs> I love it, Joseph. It, it, it's part of the legacy of Star Wars, but specifically the prequels. Yeah, no, I'm really glad you picked this fact. And when they say that it took six years to make that camera and then you read the name of it, I was like, how many years was just coming up with that name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many letters down the line? Yeah, this is also just like um, Star Wars as uh, lived history becoming Star Wars as recorded history. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you had the same experience. I think it was because I was paying a lot of attention to the buildup to Attack of the Clones. I was really excited for it. Um, I, I was, uh, writing a lot and therefore procrastinating on the internet. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, coming of attack, the clones was the true birth of internet procrastination for me personally. But I remember that just being everywhere, a point of discussion everywhere that attack, the clones is going to be all digital. And most of it, I remember being kind of like, uh, Lucas doesn't understand the romance of practical effects. He doesn't understand the right. romance of film stock. He's going to ruin everything. Here we go. You know, that's right. our, that's what I remember being the conversation being. But I remember it being a big deal. And I mm. wonder if that's an experience I had or how many people, you know, younger generations like that's kind of a, a new fact to. Uh, yeah, no, that's a great point. I'm trying to transport my back, my, my myself back to the, that day. And, and I, um, and look, this is something that might, I, we all could struggle with change. Change can be difficult and change can be hard, but like holding on to the old ways is a dangerous form of attachment. And it doesn't mean we kill the past. It means we learn from it and prove it. And, and there's definitely great things to pull forward. And a lot, yeah, I do remember those conversations of, um, the magic of filmmaking and, and even in, in film and what, what it looks like. And those are all, you know, discussions to have, but yeah, there was some like, George, what are you doing? Kind of thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, yeah. It, everything's just going to be made in a computer. Nothing is ever going to have any soul. And, and I know yeah. there's, there's still debates to be had about, you know, it, you, you can tell sometimes when, yeah. wow, that human jumped off a cliff in a James Bond movie from the seventies and that person could have died. Right. <laughs> and is that different than absolutely knowing? Ah, yeah, no, they, they, they mm-hmm. pasted Mark Ruffalo's head on that, you know, like, you know, there's, there's those discussions to be had. That's all fine and good. But yeah, I mean, really relating Lucas's constant desire to push technology uh, forward to the themes that are in Star Wars about, you know, change is natural. Change has to happen. Change mm-hmm. does not necessarily mean uh, entirely erasing the past. It, it means that being able to let go and, and evolve um, yeah. and to see you know, this direct line from Attack of the Clones the being the first all digital, uh, which took a lot of heat and a lot of umbrage, all the way back, all the way to the volume where it's kind of uh, reached this stage of like, great, now we can 
utilize this marriage of the digital in the real to make things feel more real for the actor. And now it's almost come like full circle where uh, the digital possibilities are now reconnecting people back to feeling grounded in the filmmaking they're doing because it's it's real photography and it's on the screen and I can see it. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening to you talk to her, Joseph, and I'm thinking like I I still occasionally get grumpy about the volume. I do. You know, there's some parts of Mandalorian who are like, ah, I don't know. I wish they were filming up in the Redwood City. Like, <laughs> and it's it's a challenge for me. And and but I've always you know been respectful of, of what they're pulling off. And and to, and to hear actors talk. I mean, you and McGregor can't stop talking about it, right? <laughs> Every right. Interview. And there's this cool thing they're filming. We know you and we know, but it's so awesome. Uh, 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 Carl Weathers just say it's so perfect of like, we as actors make our choices, but it's all there in front of us. And we, we all can, can sync up our choices in a way. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Yeah, fascinated by it. It's part of the history. Uh, just well said on a lot of that stuff there. And yeah, you're really, you're really transporting me, Joseph, back to uh, the heady days of uh, 2000, 2001 and 2002. <laughs> like, yeah. George is doing, he's going to replace actors. There's going to be no actors anymore. <laughs> Everyone's going to be a Jar Jar. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I remember even, even you got Ben Burt. Uh, God bless Bird. The you know, uh, not po- poking fun at him at all, but like talking about that that they go through him editing that scene in the cockpit where it's like what Qui Gon and uh, and Panaka and and Rick Ollier and Obi Wan and taking literal parts from other scenes and putting it and how Bird's like I don't know we're playing God in the computer <laughs> like, I don't know <laughs> so great yeah stuff. good stuff great pick. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, that is uh, my number two. And uh, what we're going to do here is uh, take a quick break on the other side. Some runner ups. We're not going to read all of them. We're just going to go through uh, what we got. And then our number one choices of our favorite fascinating facts in this uh, fun book by Pablo Madonna. Stick around here for more Star Wars Ranked. <laughs> Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138. And we're back here on Star Wars Rank. Joseph Scrimshaw and myself are ranking our favorite facts from Star Wars. Fascinating facts, story, lore, and history from the greatest galaxy by Pablo Hidalgo. Uh, We are having a lot of fun, uh, and uh, there's a lot of different facts, a lot of uh, great timelines for characters. Um, I love Joseph, like like you you, you even said off air. We're kind of pulling a lot of George stuff here. (laughs) A lot of, hey, (laughs) throw some respect on that flannel guy. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's there to be pulled from the book. Yeah. Uh, we've got some runner-ups here, uh, some uh, facts that are great, but uh, didn't quite make our uh, top five here. Uh, Joseph, what are a couple from you? Yeah, a couple from me. Um, this one is maybe one that you were like, uh, yeah, of course, Joseph, but this is one that I, I hadn't known. Uh, this is called Ernie the Greater, and it talks about how uh, a human named Ernie uh, Fossilius, uh, who was yeah, Fossilius. the... Fossilius was a creator of Hardware Wars, also played Malakili, and did the voice for Poggle the Lesser. Mm. Uh, when I read this one, I was like one of those memes where you go like, that's amazing. That's amazing. And then, boom, galaxy brain. <laughs> yeah. The fact that that was all connected. I did not know that fact and did a great one. Yeah. It's Hardware Wars. He's the guy who gave us uh, uh, Hardware Wars, and uh, that's a big part of my life. And the Poggle the Lesser one, I'm glad you brought that up because I I we did I did spotlight Star Wars uh, or I did a Star Wars ranked actually uh, by myself on, on Hardware Wars. I talked about Ernie Fossilius. I'm, I'm probably saying I say his name different every time. Um, 
he's wonderfully cranky. He's wonderfully grumpy. He's kind of a, he's, he's a very interesting guy. Um, I, I couldn't find confirmation on the Poggle fact. It was like on Wikipedia, but not here, there. And then I forgot about this book where Pablo's like, yeah, that was him. It's a great fact. Amazing. And, and I'm, I'm not misreading this. He's Malakili. Yes. Yeah. He's the voice of, I think he's the cry. I think he's the cry. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. I was, okay. Okay. All he's right, not. Yeah. Thank he, you. He's a, uh, different. He's a taller, thinner dude. Uh, yes. I'm definitely. Yes. But, oh, uh, that what, makes sense. Yes. Bert yeah. cast, uh, Fossilius as the sobbing rancor keeper. So he came in and, and did some crying. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So yeah. Great. And great stuff. Again, you know, Harbor Wars, George loves it. It's a lifetime achievement award, uh, fan film though. Uh, Ernie, says it's not a fan film it's i do parodies um so, <laughs> and he's and he's so last jedi side note sorry you get me last jedi when, when ryan johnson throws that homage to hardware wars with the iron and everything um uh, he ernie was not happy about it he was not, he, he had this weird rant in an article of like i'm selling tickets for that movie with my thing he's an interesting kind of curmudgeonly cat and you should all check it out check wow it out. that's so great yeah um great stuff yeah, so a, a couple more from me. Uh, this one just uh, made me laugh. Uh, it's a discussion of uh, BB9E, and basic. It's called an evil BB, but uh, just that before he had the, the uh, before the droid had a proper name, that the crew called him BB Hate, which <laughs> 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 just yeah. cracked me up. Uh, the then the Muppet connection, uh, yeah. which is just a fun little story about how uh, Mark Hamill wanted Frank Oz uh, on set. To, he, he he asked him to perform and hear uh, the Miss Biggie voice uh, to which Frank Oz said no and then eventually surprised uh, Mark Hamill on set one day by uh, the Yoda puppet went down and the Miss Biggie puppet came up and it's just a very funny great story of these two great uh, great uh, contributions to Star Wars from Mark Hamill and Frank Oz and them uh, in the fandom between them. <laughs> love that one. Love that one. Uh, couple for me here i love uh the sunken death star this is one of those ones that yeah it's it's probably well known you get the art of book for force awakens and you got a character that we, we kind of now acknowledge as ray swimming around the remains of the death star underwater including the falcon going there and it was just it was it was really intriguing i, I remember getting that art of book and being like wow look at that look at that um and for jay to jj to come back and get the chance to do nine uh, after he thought he wasn't, and then to revisit that just also speaks to the filmmaking process and um, a lot of the stuff with Macquarie, you know, that that concept Macquarie put up, we never used it, but now it's Lothal or, you know, along with Phil Tippett and some of those things. I love that about Star Wars. I love that just about the filmmaking and uh, storytelling process. So uh, that was one of my favorite ones there. Yeah, I really like that too, because it is just a reminder uh, that, you know, as fans, we can kind of get caught up uh, on like timelines and where is a person going to show up and, you know, where are they going to decide to include this character? And just a reminder that uh, storytelling, even with big budget things like this, is just kind of at the gut level sometimes too. There's clearly something to that image of sunken evil that just spoke mm -hmm. to J.J. Abrams, right? He just, I mm -hmm. want that image on the screen because it, it affects me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well done. Yes, sunken evil indeed. Um, I love this one, junking a junk planet connection because we, you know, we do, especially back in 2014, 2015, it wasn't unfair um, for any of us to think that Star Wars was going to be connected. And I, we still think it is in in, in in various ways, the emotional canon, that, that phrase we love around here. But we were looking for the, you know, the general clues. And Star Wars Rebels was the first out of the gate. And so we all were looking for is there Leonis? Is that Finn? Is that Finn's father? We are all looking for those connections. And I, I get it. But the Junk in the Planet one talks about how Force Awakens and Rebels were both in concurrent development. And there was a Junk Planet going to be in Episode 7. So maybe they thought maybe 
that would start out in uh, Rebels, not a junk planet, but an Imperial kind of run planet. And it just uh, production timelines, uh, shifting schedules and development, the needs of animations versus live action, all factored into them junking that junk connection. And so Lothal and Jakku developed separately and were separate planets. So I, I, I'm and I'm glad it's the way it is. Um, but I, I, you know, that would have been fun. Would have been interesting. But it also would have spawned an entire <laughs> subgenre of everything is everything, which is less fun for me. Yeah, I mean, when when you're uh, resharing that fact, uh, what I am hearing is the sound of a thousand clickbait articles and fan theories that could have been right. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. everyone would have been convinced that Ezra is Ray's, you know, grand uncle yeah. or whatever, you know? Yeah. 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 Hey, look, and I was up for a good Ray theory. I love, I love that. I love that time. But then I just remember one point it was around the battlefront to Iden and, and Del Mico as Ray's parents where I went like, no, no, that's not, <laughs> that can't be it. That's not it. What am I doing? What am I doing? God bless if you do. I uh, love that one there. Uh, another one for me was Star Wars on the radio. This is uh, talking about the Star Wars radio plays. Um, and uh, Lucas, you know, kind of gave the license to NPR. And, and here we go. And a lot of people, and Pablo has talked about it. He's a big fan of these because he talks about them a lot. Um, particularly uh, Perry King is Han Solo. He's like, for a lot of people, that was their Han Solo. Um, a lot of uh, Brock Peters is Darth Vader and Saxon mm-hmm. Leia. Um, Hamill and Anthony Daniels reprise their roles there, written by Brian Daly, directed by John Madden. They, they're they're great, but uh, this little thing, Joseph, this line, um, uh, thirteen episode audio only version that expands the action of the film to over six hours and adds new scenes and characters. Could you imagine? Talk about clickbait articles. We get the novelizations, and an extra chapter or deleted scene shows up, and that turns into YouTube essays about what could have been or what should have been imagine oh here's a completely authorized radio version that has different things in it and different characters where are they don't worry they're on the radio is npr canon yeah yeah yeah. uh yeah no i remember listening to these uh and then i haven't listened forever because uh my copies are on cassette (laughs) but i very much remember and there's a lot of stuff a lot of really fascinating stuff and then uh, you know listening also as a kid and having such a relationship to star wars as a visual thing being fascinated by how they would tell visual parts of the story you know but yeah man uh, it would be that, that would be a great project to do like yeah we're gonna do the prequels and the sequels is you know like this and it's not canon it's another interpretation you know amazing yeah another version hey i'm yeah as everyone knows i'm big big hitchhiker's guy the galaxy fan and douglas adams always said anytime my story's told it should be told differently it should be a different version and And he uh, lived up to that with hitchhikers lived up to it indeed uh, a couple more for you here on the runner-up yeah yeah uh endor wildlife uh this is discussing how like yep in return of the jedi uh there are chickens in the ewok village yes. and in iguana <laughs> crawling yes. on chief chirpa uh and there's yeah the chickens sure let's go with it it's canon uh and then it i know you probably know this because it is your one of your uh touch points of star wars the return of the jedi novelization uh but yeah. it says according to the novelization of return of the jedi the iguana is chirpa's pet and advisor <laughs> i mean look the chirpa deserves a re-examination as a powerful leader in star wars and as does that iguana absolutely what wisdom did that iguana share was it a force sensitive iguana we'll find out um <laughs> 
in the next radio adap- adaptation because there was one original Jedi much later. Yeah. Anyway, uh, m- my final runner up is the one that I think uh, got this book on a lot of people's radar because it's the one that uh, that uh, launched many. Uh, many articles, and it is just the simple Luke Skywalker's destiny. It is one of the shortest facts in the book, <laughs> and it just says, years before The Last Jedi began development, the treatment left behind by George Lucas in 2012 also had Episode Eight be the one wherein Luke Skywalker would die. Uh, it's a very short, uh, very specific fact, and it feels like just a, a reminder of, like, exactly what we were talking about earlier many many things changed from the various outlines of the sequel trilogy but some didn't some of the big pieces some of the bones didn't change and i think also just a a a gentle um different perspective to uh to fans who who if they dislike those choices uh, just a gentle reminder to them that well that was lucas's choice as well so if, if you dislike that choice, every right, but be aware of uh, how thorough <laughs> the history of this choice is. Yeah, indeed. And there's the Colonel Kurtz Walker uh, uh, entry a little bit later in the book, too, which is similar. Just, uh, you know, same kind of vibe with Luke. George had that kind of plan, too. And I think you're right. Just a nice, gentle reminder. Right. Yeah, I think that fact is that the uh, one piece of art that Lucas uh, approved uh, as being a part of consideration is the is Luke as this uh uh, uh, a desperate hermit, right? Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Needs to be drawn back from despair. Ooh, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that's it for me. Great runner-ups. Uh, final quick, quick ones for me. Page 179, there's one, The Dark Times. We refer to it a lot here. I think I refer to it almost daily in my life, too. Just The Dark Times, the late 80s, um, where Star Wars was, believe it or not, kind of a thing in the past. And this kind of, uh, you know, that's a, a very generation specific kind of uh, experience um but uh, I, it was very sad uh, the way pablo writes this is like <laughs> movies and then the newspaper strip which there was a newspaper strip of stories that ends in march of 84 marvel comics ends in may of 86 star wars fan club folded in 87 and then the toy line tried to keep going with ewoks and droids but that too fizzled out it is just like it's slowly fading away <laughs> star wars this is one of those generational perspective things that informs a lot. I have that last issue of the comic, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I hunted uh, shelves, uh, you know, for years. It's one of the reasons that I love uh, Pruneface because he was one of the last figures I ever found on a shelf. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So to go through that perspective of something like Star Wars that seems huge and omnipresent, just drifting away. You know, mm-hmm. I think that sometimes why people of our generation will go like, ah, yeah, no, I think uh, th- that MCU movie was uh, not my favorite. But, hey, I saw yeah. superheroes on a big screen. <laughs> yeah, It's partially because uh, throughout 80s and 90s, uh, you know, I watched many things I love just go away entirely for an extremely long time. Star Wars, Doctor Who, James Bond. They all just went away. And I learned <laughs> that's the way of things. <laughs> If you love it, it will go away. And I think right now we're not in a world where that's happening, but it yeah. is still like, hey, maybe not my favorite James Bond movie. I don't care. I saw James Bond. Same thing with Doctor Who and Star Wars. It's it's a, almost a bigger discussion to have, of just especially for, for you and I and others, uh, that almost syncs up with our, our birth and adolescence. So these late 80s, it's almost as if, and this was a time of, of you got to grow up now. And which one hand is, yeah, correct. Yeah. Grow up mature. But also now we're in this era of like, well, cool, but you can take this stuff with you. Yeah. <laughs> and, it can be part of your life and your career and everything. Yeah. 
So, but it literally felt like you got to take the Star Wars toys off your shelf because that's done now. That's done. <laughs> it sure. was. Oh. It was like the world came in as like, why is that still on your bed sheets? I'm taking these. <laughs> take them. Uh, so great one. And the final one for me, uh, cause for celebrations, um, similar to what I was saying earlier about the, the prequels and the, the technical advancements. Uh, this is a reminder that because of episode one, that's why we have Star Wars celebration. They were like, hey, we got to celebrate Star Wars. May uh, or April 30th into May 2nd, 1999, Denver, Colorado, Colorado, 30 fans turned up, 30,000 fans turned up. <laughs> well, 30 fans, maybe. Um and celebrated Star Wars as they ushered in this new era. And as uh, you and I and others are scrambling for hotels and, uh, you know, tickets and everything for Star Wars Celebration 2022, which we cannot wait to be part of and we will be there. But um, it's just a reminder. Hey, episode one. That's the reason we're all celebrating. Yeah, that's a great one. All right, we have reached our number one choices, our fascinating facts here. And uh, I'll go uh, with my number one so Joseph can close the show with his number one, page one. 34. Uh, this is called a galactic toy box. George Lucas dismisses the notion that license, licensing and merchandising, merchandising was always part of his grand plan. It certainly wasn't something anybody predicted, especially us, he says. The first toys didn't come out until a year after the first film came out. And it's grown into this big opportunity, which has helped finance the movies for me. I enjoy toys. And I make the films to stimulate the imaginations of the audience and especially the young people who see the film. Uh, You and I are big toy guys, uh, toy kids from that generation, still love collecting. Um, Even though merchandising and what people want now has changed over the years, and it's definitely different from the uh, Kenner on a shelf day (laughs) back in the the early 80s and whatnot. Um, It just, it reminds me uh, a lot. We talked a lot about George Lucas in this episode and the core Star Wars. We know it's a fable directed at 12-year-olds going on into the bigger adult world and not taking your toys off the shelf. Um, But it's just a warm reminder for me. a lot of what George is putting in there, and even by by Return of the Jedi, yes, so you even got uh, Gary Kurt saying, ah, "I don't know, the Ewoks were, seem to be for kids and everything." And I got nothing against the late great Gary Kurtz. I don't think we have Star Wars um, without his involvement. Uh, to be clear about that, but even by then, and you know, Joseph, those darn Ewoks started spawning these conversations of it's just about the toys, uh, it's just about the kids. And I love that George is saying, no, I mean, we didn't couldn't predict the toy stuff, but also, yeah, I love this stuff. I love toys. I love Flesh Gordon. I love all that stuff because it helps stimulate the imagination of those seeing these films. And that's the purpose. Stimulate the imagination. Teach lessons. Teach morality. Teach things, tough choices, all those kind of things. And it's all in this magical, mysterious, wonderful, tension-filled storytelling <laughs> that critics don't fully get sometimes and the kids <laughs> carry with them. And I just love that. Yeah, I wonder if Lucas had a, a T-shirt about people me- saying mean things about the toys too that he, <laughs> that he wore on the episode two set uh, with his uh, all digital film. Yeah, I love that quote. There are a couple things that I love about it. One, just uh, I think you know if you've watched the documentaries of the making of the original trilogy, this is a well-known fact. But I think sometimes not focused on in in general societal conversation about Star Wars. Uh, that goes back to what we were talking about early on about Lucas just trying to make his visions, right? That yeah. when he says, yeah, the toys help me make uh, finance the films, that it's right. so easy to look at Star Wars, you know, the initial explosion, even to today, in all the merchandising everywhere and just go, eh, it's all just to sell toys. It's all just to grab more and more money. And you just reframe that to the the, the truth that Lucas struggled 
<laughs> to finance, right. you know, Empire Strikes Back, right? Yeah. Uh, struggled to keep it all going. Like it's a little indie film. And part of what made it happen is like, hey, the toys, great. Thank you. Yeah. A lifeline. That it's just so so polar opposite than, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just going to use these in a cynical way to make money. It's no, I have this vision. I want to share it, and they're helping me do that as I desperately scrape to do that. Yeah, and it's Alan Ladd Jr.'s losing his job, and even Fox is saying absolutely not. You can't make the second film. It costs too much money. Kicked out of the director's guild. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and then for me, uh, I will not go on about this for a long time because uh, well documented how much the toys mean to me. But it is it just really means a lot for me to hear that out of the uh, the mouth of the person who started this all that they stimulate the imagination. They did for me as a kid. That's why I still love them. I'm doing these uh, fun TikTok videos uh, about action figures. And I realized for me, it's part of the reason that I wanted to do that is because uh, I don't take them out of the package. I don't play with them in the same way. But action figures are still stimulating my imagination of how can I share with people why these silly action figures make me happy? They're still uh, stimulating my imagination. And I am extremely grateful for that. Yeah, yours, Robert Rodriguez, shooting animatics with his kids and figures. <laughs> you know, like, right. Uh, Favreau dumping the, the the toys on the sandbox and playing. I mean, with Filoni, like, yeah, it's all there. And it all comes from a uh, little bit what George is saying here, I would say. Absolutely. So that is my number one. But we've reached your number one, sir. Your number one favorite fascinating fact from the greatest galaxy. Uh, what do you have? Uh, my number one is, I believe, the last one in the book. It is A Princess's Thanks. Uh, here is what is written. Carrie Fisher passed away as Episode Nine was in development. Director and co-writer J.J. Abrams faced the challenge of her absence head-on, realizing Leia could not be absent from a story that required her. By using previously unused footage from Episode Seven, Abrams found a way to include her, something that Fisher cryptically seemed to predict in the dedication of her book, The Princess Diarist. Uh, here's what The Princess Diarist says. And special thanks to J.J. Abrams for putting up with me twice. Abrams said, now, I had never worked with her before The Force Awakens, and I wasn't originally supposed to do this movie, so it was a classic Carrie thing to sort of write something like that, and it could only mean one thing for me. Mm. So this was just a great uh, a great tribute to uh, Carrie Fisher, um, a great <laughs> just mystery of why did she write it that way? And, uh, you know, it evokes the the maybe the mysteries of the movements of the, the force exist here in our galaxy, too. And it's just it's just a really heartfelt to me thing for J.J. Abrams to say, yeah, you know, it's a quick decision. Should I take on episode nine? How are we going to handle this? And. Carrie Fisher seemed to uh, strangely imply that I would take it on. So so maybe that's one of the reasons I did is it's very, very big step back from all of the um, the rancor of uh, who should have directed it. Did they do a good job? All that and just really steps back to, you know, uh, no matter how big uh, Star Wars gets, no matter how much of uh, blockbusters or box office or toy sales we can discuss that there is in the creative process, the sense of something you know, personal and powerful and spiritual. And I think this is a really just uh, not a fun fact, I guess, yeah, yeah. Uh, a moving fact uh, yeah. to get to that, the heart of there's, there are all these uh, personal and, and spiritual ideas going into it too. A lot going into it. Uh, tough decisions, uh, sad decisions had to be made. You know, we get all that, but I love uh, yeah, the, the spiritual nature of this. Also, Carrie, if, if you had asked her, 
Why'd you, what'd you mean by this? Uh, you, come on, it's Star Wars. You never get away. Or, you know, <laughs> <that>. <laughs> who um, knows what she meant? Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and just a reminder of how uh, wonderful and, and, uh, and unique she was in her own way. And, and, uh, and, and, and it reminds me too of, of, um, I watched a little bit of that, the, the, that Rises Skywalker talk the other day, just kind of had it on. It's just, I don't know, man. It just reminds me, JJ, he has some great care and concern for this franchise and these films. You know, he, he, he was there to play and was there to put himself and his heart and soul into it. And, and he knew that things like this could not just be done flippantly or to sell tickets or to make you taste. It, it, it was all, you know, he had to weigh a lot of decisions and he, and he did so because he does love Star Wars. And so uh, I'll, I'll take that away from this as well. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I'll, I'll final thing for me is uh, I'll say the same thing about J.J. Abrams that I said about <laughs> George Lucas. I think you can you know disagree with their choices and you can personally uh, dislike them, but I think they are made with care. And I think one of the choices uh, that he and and everyone involved made with care that I really appreciate is I think this film Rise of Skywalker does absolutely everything it can uh, to center and celebrate uh, the legacy of Leia and therefore the legacy of Carrie Fisher. And that is one of the many reasons uh, that I celebrate that movie. Absolutely. I'm there with you on that. And I love everything you brought to this conversation, Joseph. What a wonderful, fun little book. Uh, you know, we could have talked about a lot of different things in here, including some of the sillier things and some of the uh, interesting little uh, uh, numbers and timelines, but some great, I, I really think powerful uh, affecting facts in here. So uh, great job, Pablo. Star Wars Fascinating Facts. Store lore and history from the greatest galaxy. It's out there. Uh, it's not a commercial for it. We uh, purchased the book ourselves, uh, but uh, it was just um, uh, a fun little book. And I love uh, celebrating all sides and uh, histories of Star Wars, past, present, and future. So thank you, Joseph, for coming in for this one here. Uh, as we start to sign on out, I'll let you know where we can uh, be found. We're online on Twitter at Force Center Pod, on Instagram, YouTube as well. Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. Get an audible uh, book, uh, audio book on us for free by going to audibletrial.com slash Force Center. You can get merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. I can be found online at Catnapsock or my website, KenNapsock.com. If you want to watch Joseph's fun uh, TikTok uh, <laughs> videos, well, Joseph, tell them where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all with the same handle, at Joseph Scrimshaw. And if you're interested in any of my other various comedy pursuits, including that episode of Obsessed, all about soundtracks, uh, you can find links to all those things on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. Do it, my friends. That is for the. That is it for this week. I should say, uh, Star Wars has been ranked. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.